I've got to be honest, the referrals that I've had, the patients don't want to have the surgery, okay? Which is interesting because, you know, they've obviously been told that they've got a problem, they've got recession, but they're just thinking, I don't want to go through this hassle, right? So, which is fine. But what I have noticed during lockdown, I've had a lot more patients contacting me about their gum recession. (laughs) Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, Patricia I'm Jazz Gulati, and welcome to PDP 082, all about the management of recession defects. Not like the crazy, like, you know, get the scalpel out, let's all start doing root coverage. More like how to assess it as a GDP, because I find that recession is one of those things, right, where it's, it's like tooth wear in the sense that it's common but that doesn't make it acceptable. That doesn't make it uh, something that we don't write down as a diagnosis. Because I find that you know people ignore tooth wear and people ignore recession because why? We see it all the time of varying degrees. Um, some patients will take it really seriously, whereas others will have recession for years. And and you, you you might be the first dentist to have that conversation with them about recession. And it can obviously lead to sensitivity and aesthetic issues. So it's a huge issue. And I think soft tissues as a whole is something that needs uh, better coverage, I guess, if that's a pun I'm allowed to use. Uh, this episode, I'm joined by Amit Patel, who is a, a I want to say, I want to say youthful. Like, this guy has like, got a baby face, right? And he's such a good guy. He's one of the nicest guys in dentistry, very knowledgeable. Uh, and he's been on the lecture circuit for like years and years and years, although you wouldn't tell from his face. He, like I said, he's a baby face. Uh, he's going to talk all about how he assesses, as a periodontist specialist, the tissues and how he manages the cases that get referred to him uh, with recession. And it's amazing how a lot of these cases, he's just reassuring patients. He's not actually picking up a, a scalpel. And it's great to know when we can reassure patients and how far we can go with that versus when we actually kind of need to uh, intervene or refer so that the situation doesn't get out of hand. So we cover all those things, including prognoses. At the beginning, we also cover the journey, like Amit Patel's journey. And it's another example of how and why you don't need to have everything figured out straight away. Sometimes things happen, signs come your way, uh, you meet people, mentors, and that leads you to a certain path. So I hope you enjoy this episode all about recession as a GDP with Amit Patel. Oh, I almost forgot <laughs> the protrusive dental pearl. So on the theme of recession, recession coverage, I guess, which is bloody, I'm gonna give you a bloody pearl, okay? The bloody pearl is if you've got a bleeder, right? What I mean by a bleeder is if you've got someone carried out an extraction and they're not settling and they're bleeding profusely, okay? Here's a little trick, okay? You get the nurse to boil the kettle and you're gonna make a cup of tea, okay? Except you're not gonna drink this cup of tea, you're gonna pull out this hot, tea bag, okay, and you're gonna put it on the socket, okay? This works wonders, okay? This is something I got taught as a student on an oral surgery seminar, and it's always stuck with me, and I saw it recently again on a Facebook group where someone was talking about this trick. I was like, yeah, that's an amazing trick. So uh, if you're ever stuck, okay, then just remember, time for a cup of tea. Let's join Amit Patel, and I'll catch you in the outro. Everyone knows you in the UK, right? And I don't know if you know this or not, but you are—you were the for me the poster boy for Perio Chip, right? Oh. <laughs> like I'd open my cupboard and I see a poster of you. I see you with your little mop. I'd be like five millimeter pocket thing Perio Chip, and I you were in that white shirt and the white shirt and the hair and stuff. So uh, that's why I think everyone in the UK knows you. <laughs> but for those who don't know who you are, can you tell us uh, a little about yourself, Amit? Thanks, thanks for that, Jess. Um, well, I'm a I'm a specialist in periodontics and I'm from London originally. I went to Liverpool University in 92 and uh, worked all over the country. And then I decided to do perio training at Guy's in St. Thomas's for four years. And that included a bit of implant training. And then uh, again, I worked all over the country until I moved to Birmingham and uh, started my own little practice here in the city centre. Uh, Birmingham Dental Specialists, and uh, it was going really well until 2020. <laughs> so, because <laughs> we were going to expand, uh, but now we just have to wait a little bit longer before we do that. Well, let's hit us all hard, and I hope uh, things pick up for you again. I mean, you totally deserve that. But how, how soon did you know after qualifying that you wanted to pursue Perio? Oh, now that's a good question, Jas. That's a really good question. Let me tell you a secret. <laughs> so I'm um, I'm not the best student in the Go world. On. Really bad. 
I would have left school at 16, become a plumber or join the military or something and just, you know, been quite happy. But my mates went off to, you know, to do the A-levels. So I thought, oh, I'll tag along. And then I went to um, a careers day. The teacher said, look, you're good at woodwork. Maybe you should be a dentist. And I'm like, okay, fine. That's what I was going to do. So then the problem was I went for my interviews and uh, <laughs> I didn't get a place because my interviews were so bad because they kept asking me, why you want to be a dentist? I didn't have an answer. Uh, then I failed my A-levels because I wasn't the best student in the world. I had to resit. And uh, and then I went again when it came to my uh, university interviews. Um, I went back to some of the universities and they rejected me. And the only place that that was going to offer me a place was Liverpool. That was the last place, the last interview. And they sort of said, uh, I, we suppose we have to offer you a place because you haven't been given any offers. And I'm like, yes, please. That was it. And they gave me, they gave me, um, back then it was three B's uh, for the resets. But before the resets, it was a B and two C's. It was, it was a bit easier to get in then. At that time, I did pass uh, my A-levels and then went to Liverpool. Um, so the question you asked was, why did I, how did I want to do Perio? No. But after admitting that you weren't the best student, yeah, after saying that you weren't the best student and then you end up doing a whole Perio program, what was that about? Yeah, so the thing is, again, it goes back to, you know, I realised when I went to, you know, went to Liverpool, within the first term, you know, we did an operative tech, you know, op tech, and I realised I can't do this for the rest of my life, you know, drilling and filling. I was like, this is, this is really not going to be for me. And, uh, but I'd committed myself to the five years and I was having a good time at university, so I wasn't going to walk away from it. So I carried on, you know, <laughs> just scraped through. I wasn't the best student. It wasn't, you know, yeah, I wasn't liked very much, but, you know. Um, and uh, then in fourth year, we were doing a, a week at uh, a hospital called Walton. And I turned up and on a Monday morning and these dentists were doing head and neck cancer operations. And I'm like, what? what is this, right? And then they said, yes, we're dentists, but we're also doctors. And I'm like, okay. So then what was really good about that week was because I was really enjoying it and really enthusiastic, they kept dragging me back in to do zygomas and all this stuff. They let me do lots of stuff, you know, plating and all this sort of stuff as an undergrad. And um, and I thought, right, I'm going to do medicine, right? So then the plan was that I was going to go and do medicine <laughs> after I qualified. And I got uh, I got my house officer job, uh, SHO jobs, MFDS, and then I also applied to medical school. And I got into a three-year medical course at Leeds. So, um, yeah, so that was good. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm not no going to my own trumpet or whatever, but, you know, I do feel quite fortunate that, you know, I got that place, especially a short course, and then... I also could make an informed decision that maybe this isn't the career for me. Do you know what I mean? And I think a lot of people who do Max Facts, I'm not, again, I'm not criticizing their, their career choices, but you know, you know, you, how many of them actually go on and do head and neck cancer surgery? Most of them will become GPs. When you look at the, the questionnaires and all the studies that have been, you know, been published on the doubly qualified clinicians, what do they end up becoming? It's rare, you know, it's not, not all of them will become Max Facts surgeons. So it's a very, very good point for anyone thinking uh, about doing medicine after dentistry. I think you've raised a good point there. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, because you look at majority of them, they're either GPs or they go off and do ENT or plastics. It's like, well, so... Other specialties, uh, skin yeah. or whatever. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly, yeah. So, you know, um, like I know here in Birmingham, I've met a Max Max guy and he's an anaesthetist. It's like, you know, you're actually a dentist. So, you know, do they dislike dentistry that much? I didn't really dislike it. Um but what I learned was because uh, I did VT, I did VT for one year, and and what I realised there, I started to enjoy just talking to patients. You know what I mean, having a laugh and stuff like that. So I just realised it wasn't, you know, I could have done anything because in in VT I did, uh, we spent one day with um, an endodontist in Manchester, uh, David Cohen, and he works with a guy called Phil Green, who's a periodontist, and David Cohen was just so enthusiastic about endos and I was like oh, I could do this because I, I realized that I only need to be around somebody who's got so much energy and I think right I could do that 
And, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's really sad, you know, I mean, you know, you know, for example, I am di- digressing quite a bit, but I went to a lecture in London a few years ago with a guy called Frank Spear. He came and he gave a lecture and I just sat there and I thought, if I'd met him 20 years ago, I would have done his course and I would have been, you know, a restorative specialist or something like that. Do you know what I mean? And so it's just, the, it just depends on who I was Frank Spear is like, you know, God status <laughs> yeah, in, in this podcast. Good. But you see, I'd never heard of him until then. And then I thought, oh, I like this guy. You know, he's amazing. And, you know, at the same time, there was other, other people who spoke there and um, um, some well-known people that you'll know, and they just did not impress me in this life. But he did. He just simplified occlusion and, and cosmetic dentistry. And there's all these other people talking about it in a very complicated way. And I thought, mm, no, but he was very good. And maybe because he had age on his side and, you know, he wasn't, you know, hasn't, hadn't got anything to prove or something like that, but it was good. But um, going back to the reason why I did perio. So I, I met this endodontist and then they took me out for dinner, the endodontist and periodontist. And they sort of said, I said, right, I'm not sure. I think I'm going to become a specialist because at that point, the specialist training pathways were put forwards. And the register was already set up at that point, just like a year before. And um, so the periodontist said, are you good with a scalpel? I said, I'm all right with a scalpel because I did loads of oral surgery, right? And he says, well, then do perio. <laughs> and that was the only reason why I did perio. No other reason. So then I rocked up at uh, Guys in St. Thomas's for my interview. And like I said to you before, my interviews are really bad, right? And that was one of my worst interviews ever. <laughs> so my CV said, you know, Max Fax SHO here, you know, there, whatever. And he'd done this publications and all this sort of rubbish. And uh, a restorative guy there, I'm not going to mention his name, who I dislike quite strongly. And uh, he knows how I feel about him because I've had a conversation with him. Maybe he's the same guy I dislike. Actually, we'll have to have to chat about. Yeah, um, we'll have a little yeah. chat about who that is after the podcast ends to yeah. see if it's a mutual person that we dislike. He's a very prominent <laughs> individual, and uh, and he will now walk the opposite way because he knows I'm not going to take any conversation from him. But um, um, so he sort of says, "So your CV says you you should be doing max fax," and I'm like, "Yes." But I'm making an informed decision because I want to do, I said, you know, I really enjoy dentistry. And he just wouldn't give it in. And I, I wanted to turn and say, do you realize that I have a place at medical school and you never did? So, <laughs> you know what I mean? but I had to keep my mouth shut. Do you know what I mean? Which is, uh, you know, but anyway, fortunately, they did turn around. I mean, the, the head of the department turned around and says, you know, essentially, we're going to offer you a place because you're the only uh, British candidate. And uh, so I got in. Otherwise, there's no way on this planet I'd get in today. It's it's, it's so competitive. You know, there's so many. You've you've heard of all these some of these social media. You're being way too harsh on yourself, Amy. No, You're being no, way no. too harsh on yourself. It's the truth. It's honest truth. Because you know, there's all these social media periodontists, and you know, and and you know, they have you know, they have worked very hard. They're very very you know academic and. And, you know, they've got there because, you know, they've ticked all the right boxes. There's no way, you know, if I applied against them, I would get in. You know what I mean? But but what's funny is that someone will ask me saying, you must have been a A-star a student or whatever it is. And I'm like, no, really, I just scraped through, you know. And um, it's a really, really bad story because essentially when I did the first year, uh, so I deferred medicine for one year, really. Uh, and I, that, was a, that was just because I was trying to play the odds, you know. And I did the first year and it was, I was just, we were just cleaning teeth and I was thinking, this is, what am I doing this for, for another four years? So then a, a really good uh, lecturer, his name is Dr. City, Alan City, in, uh, in um, he works um, on Portland Place in central London. And I just said to him, listen, I have, I'm thinking about dropping this course and going back to Leeds and to finish just doing medicine and doing max facts. And he goes, listen, Amit, come to my practice and see what I do. So I just rocked up at his practice on a, on a Monday morning and it was, it was so good. You know, he sort of, you know, yes, you know, we clean teeth, but he showed me bilateral sinus lifts and he let me, you know, assist in them quite significantly more than, you know, you know, as in I would do the lifts and he'd do block grafts and all this sort of stuff. He did so much in that day. And I thought, actually, this is really good. This is lots of surgery that would keep me interested and then I just turned down the place at medical school and uh, carried on with 
career really and i've and i've never regretted it you know i've really enjoyed it and what i've learned that, that's really cool that, that is it alan city that that he yeah. almost took you under his wing right he Massively, almost took yeah. you under his wing and and he if it wasn't for him you you may have dropped out of that perio program so i think sometimes to identify these individuals in your career to trajectory whatever you end up doing and 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 they sort of swing you and they and they take you and they really change the course of your career so i think it's great that you've identified someone like that and it, it's, it's great that he's part of your story yeah, he was, you know, he's he's such a good friend and, you know, I always used to ask him for advice and stuff. And whenever, you know, if if I'm in London, I'll go and knock on his door. I just love hanging around with him because, again, he was just enthusiastic, but he helped me make a good decision. You know, it wasn't because, I mean, for example, if I was doing, I mean, I'm 48 years old now, right? I'm 49, um, going to be 49 soon. But essentially, um, you know, I would be a maxillofacial consultant at this age, right? And I would have probably been a consultant by the age of 44. And, you know, I would have been anywhere in the country. And then I'd be working within, within the NHS constraints because essentially you can't have so many specialties doing head and neck cancer. You can't have plastics, ENT and max vax in the same hospital doing the same sort of surgery. So, you know, the funding is reduced. So it's like you're so highly trained. And then I might be just taking out wisdom teeth or fixing fractured jaws, which is not an issue, you know, but... Um, you know, I've, I'm really happy. And, and actually what's been good, you know, talking about, you know, people who've, um, you know, helped me guide me in a really good way, because there's another, another individual. So when I came to Birmingham, um, Prof Chapel, Ian Chapel offered me a job working there because I had no work, you know, you know, just trying to, you know, mm-hmm. but Birmingham is very NHS. There's very, there's very few specialists here, to be honest. There's only three periodontists in the city. Um, and you can see why, because most of the specialty trainings are in, the, in, in London, so you're going to build a network there and you'd stay there. And so Prof Chapel, uh, who is just an exceptional individual, you know, uh, two years ago he won the best scientist award in the world. You know, that's pretty impressive, you know what I mean? And um, um, so he's phenomenal. taking me under his wing and he's he sort of let me do what I want. And he, you know, he, he sort of, because of him, he... I've been able to get onto the international circuit, lecturing circuit, you know, because he's part of the EFP, the European Federation of Perio, and I've lectured twice at Euro Perio, where we get like 13 and a half, 14,000 people at that event once every three years. So it's because of him that, you know, maybe, you know, I've, my name's a little bit more prominent, I'd say. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this Protrusive team, and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. But um, going back to the Perry training. That, that's, that's great. And, and it's, it speaks volumes about you as well, Amit. No, but it's, it's, it does speak volumes about you, the, the fact that Ian Chappell, Prof Ian Chappell, I mean, what a huge name in the world uh, of Perio. And, you know, he saw something in you that he liked. So there, there, there is a lot to be said about that, my friend. So that, that, yeah, that, that's awesome. Uh, please do tell us, because yeah. what this episode is evolving into is your journey, which is important, and I like that. And so tell us a little bit more about your journey, and then I'm going to get to the more clinical bit. So this episode will have almost two arms, the, the journey part, which will be really useful and inspirational for a lot of people. And then we're going to get to the nitty gritty of recession. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, uh, <laughs> so going back to the perio side about it. Um, so, you know, I did the four years and the training, I've got to be honest, um, the training within the UK, maybe it's changed now. I don't know, but it was quite limited in my mind. Um, cause you know, I, I looked, you know, you look, you look at all the colleagues around the world doing so much more and it was like, it was very limited. Um, I'm not sure why it was limited, but um, I mean, in, in, in four years, I placed only 13 implants and that's not very good for someone who's coming as a specialist, you see. So, 
So, um, so obviously when I came out, I knew my limitations. I didn't, you know, just because I had the word specialist didn't mean I was going to be, you know, thinking I'm the best and that's, you know, and still not, it's still not the case. Um, so I went and then sought out, um, other dentists around the country. There's like a friend of mine called Paul Stone, who's an exceptional implant dentist. I've been watching these, you know, some people like him and a guy called Jonathan Ziff, um, you know, placing implants. And I realized actually, you know, these are general, you know, they've been doing it for such a long time and uh, it built my confidence about what I could do. Um, and then I went abroad for a month uh, to Milan with a, uh, another guy called Giulio Rasparini. He's a professor there in periodontics. And I met him at a lecture in uh, in London, I don't know now, uh, maybe 11, 12 years ago. And um, we hit it off really well. And he then set up mm. a course that I could attend and learned loads about uh, periodontal regeneration because the techniques that we were taught in the UK were very limited in that. And um, the surgical aspects of periodontal regeneration have changed massively in the last 10 years, 10, 15 years. Um, so I spent four weeks with him and uh, became part of his research group for a bit. Um so um, and that network then allowed me to you doing research Amit sounds very studious to me <laughs> yeah it's not it's, it's not they give you products to use and you have to then you know um, you know take the correct measurements correct photographs the correct surgical techniques and then they'll be publishing that within a year or something like that yeah so yeah I still do some of that also within the practice um, with companies like Geischlicht um um, and I'm actually in the middle of doing one now, but obviously the whole um, COVID situation made that uh, s slowed it down significantly. But I'm going to get um, my friend Giulio Rasparini and his team involved in that as well now. I was working with that uh, with a professor in Bern, but uh, things are just complicated now. So it's, it's been good. It's been good actually. I've, I've you know I've met some really lovely people on my journey. I mean, should, should we dive into the recession aspects? Actually, can I just, can I just, can I digress again? So, is that okay? Yeah, oh, of course. So, uh, going back to my, um, see my, my, my journey, as you put it, um, one of the things, because you know, essentially, you know, when, 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 it, when a dentist meets me, they'll say, "Well, uh, I've had a few dentists uh, when they, especially when they're a bit drunk, uh, would turn around and say." How's it going with the cleaning of your teeth? And I'm like, it's going fine. And, you know, but, but it's, it, it doesn't bother me in the slightest, right? Because I do see myself <laughs> as a glorified hygienist. You know, I have no insecurity about my, what I have done, right? I don't care about anybody else, really. Okay. But so, so going back to, you know, so when I lecture, I sort of say, I'm a glorified hygienist. It's not an issue, right? You know, I'm quite content with what I do. So, you know, all the aspects that I thought I was going to do, all this surgery and stuff, it, it's not really the case because what I'm finding out is, uh, well, found out early on, as soon as you give the patients the right oral hygiene techniques and and the motivation, you know, they fix the problem. And that's just the best fit. And that's what I enjoy about my job because essentially all I'm doing is just talking, having a laugh with my patients and just saying, you know, if you do this, you're going to be fine, you know. And, and okay, there are cases when you need to do surgery or whatever. But it's it's not that often, you know. And 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 what I've learned now that what I like about dentistry is, you know, the relationship that you build with a patient, you know, and the way you communicate with them, and and you know, it's it's just fun, you know. It's you know, the work isn't hard, you know. It's just there to build a relationship, and you you know that yourself, you know. And 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 that's what that's what's going to give you longevity as a clinician, isn't it? Well, I, I, I bet your patients absolutely love you, uh, Amit, because you're such a, a you know a likable guy. You're, you're a character who's just easy to talk to, and the, the very few phone conversations we've had, you're just hilarious. You're very like straight up, real. Uh, and I think people are sensing that already. You speak your mind, and and that's exactly what I, what I like about you. So we you, you know speak your mind about a recession now, because what <laughs> I want to know, Amit, essentially, and feel free to tell me I'm I'm an idiot and that I've been doing it wrong, is that. I come across a recession a lot. General practitioners, we see it in our patients, right? And it's, it's this mentality that we have sometimes that, hey, you know what? It, it's not painful. Um, you know, should we just watch it? Should we just watch and wait? So I think I am 
kind of proactive in the sense that I put it in my diagnoses. I inform the patient is there. Uh, I know about the Miller's classification to some degree, but I want you to just touch on that a bit later. Yeah. Uh, I take photos and I, I kind of follow it up. But I feel as though because I don't do soft tissue surgery myself and I don't do these procedures that maybe I you know you could say that I'm I'm doing supervised neglect so what I want to know from you is at what stage is just uh, watching and waiting and or and just observing the recession neglectful at what point do you think GDPs should be referring recession to periodontist okay so it's a really good question it's got multiple facets hasn't it really I mean see the thing is if you look at um all of the historical studies based on, you know, for, for recession. So, so for example, there's a guy called Klaus Lang, and he looked at, um, you know, when when how much attached, how much cross-nose tissue, how much attached attached tissue should you have around a tooth so it can stay healthy. So he sort of came up with a number of two millimeters. Now, then there are other studies that almost show that you may not need any cross-nose tissue or attached tissue around a tooth because essentially. Um, it shows that, um, yeah, okay, it looks like the tissue's inflamed, inflamed, but they're not, right? Histologically, they're not, okay? It's just the way they look. And that was study, that study done by Miyasato. But, but the reality is, when you think about it, in our own patients, you know, you see patients with, you know, a loose bit of mucosal tissue around the tooth. They can't clean it. We know that. Do you know what I mean? So all these studies are great, Right. But you need to look at the patient individually and think, hang on, you know, if they have to pull their lip right out to clean that area, it's they're not, they're not going to do it, are they? You know, so I think um, so I get when I get patients referred to me for recession. I mean, obviously, I can fix it. It's not an issue. But I look at it and I think, does it actually bother you? And if they say no, I'll say, right, fine. Clean it well. If there's a problem, come back to me in a year's time and then we'll look at doing it. Do you know what I mean? Um, as long as there's a lot of there's you know there's some band of attached tissue there but sometimes patients don't know because a patient may be referred by their g uh, general practitioner who's concerned about the level of recession yeah. uh, let's say you have an upper molar and you notice there's you know a four millimeter of recession and you're, you haven't got any attached gingiva left so you refer to a periodontist now for you as a periodontist if the patient says look my, my dentist is concerned um if, if you say that, uh, if you ask the patient, are you concerned? The patient might not know what, what's around the corner if they don't have any um, soft tissue uh, so, you know, treatment, I guess. So, so how, what's the best way to communicate to a patient to find out whether it's in their best interest to have some treatment done now or later? So, so okay, so the way I look at it is, so let's say you're talking about that upper six. Okay, I mean, we see loads of recession around upper six and they're not always the easiest to repair, Okay. But the good thing about those is they usually have a quite a good band of crassness tissue. Now, um, in those cases, I would, you know, just tell tell them how to clean the teeth and then monitor it, and not not for a long time, yeah, just for like you know for six months or a year, and then maybe have a look at it. I've, I've got to be honest, the referrals that I've had, the patients don't want to have the surgery, okay which is interesting because, you know, they've obviously been told that they've got a problem, they've got recession, but they're just thinking, I don't want to go through this hassle, right? So, which is fine. But what I have noticed during lockdown, um, I've had a lot more patients contacting me about their gum recession. <laughs> and it's interesting because I'll say to them, if it doesn't cause you a problem, wow. that's cool, leave it alone. But I think it's only because they're looking at themselves on on this, this these sort of platforms, right? And... I've done far more mucogingival surgeries in the last six months than I have done, you know, all last year, right? And there's multiple, especially the ones here, okay, um, in the low anterior region. And I think, um, and, and it's, what's interesting is, you know, I, 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 and like, you know, I'm very honest with my patients. I'll say to them, listen, you're going to have a lot of bruising, a lot of swelling after this. You won't be able to eat uh, hard foods, or brush that area for at least three weeks because we don't want the gums to be, you know, um, to be pushed down. And you know, it's not that's not a pleasant thing to go through for three weeks, right? But now all the patients are quite keen to go ahead with it. Um, but you, I'm going back to the question you sort of said: How, do, how does a GDP sort of um, explain to the patient that this could cause a problem? Um, About the urgency of it. 
Yeah, I, I don't know how to word that, to be honest. Because um, the thing is, all around the world... I mean, am I being... Am I carrying out supervised neglect, basically? Because a lot yeah, of times no, I, I, I say what you say. I say, does it hurt? And they say, no. I say, uh, you know, um, is it getting worse? No, but it's significant and it's, you know, it's obvious. And I'm just thinking sometimes, gosh, should I be referring more of these people to a periodontist? And I, and I offer the referral, but yeah. a lot of people like, um, you know, can we just watch it? And I say, yeah, I guess we could. But it's, uh, it's is there a thing. point? Would you say there's a clinical point at which, you know, uh, is there a number like a, a X millimeters of uh, recession or whatever, at which point we should be a little bit more proactive? Is there anything like that? No, I've got to be perfectly honest with you. So, so um, there isn't because um, as long as you use a classification. So, I mean, I have had patients where we've got eight millimeters recession in the lower anterior. Okay. And, you know, I can still fix that and I can get a hundred percent root coverage. So there's no limitation on when you do it. So for example, if I have a patient who wants orthodontics, right? And you know, Invisalign or whatever it is, you know, it's usually Invisalign. And and it is usually with Invisalign where the teeth are moved out and then you get all this recession. <laughs> okay. Um, so I want them to have the orthodontics first, then I can come back and fix the the the, the recession defects. Does that make sense? It's um I can do, you know, you, you can do stuff. stuff That's like, good. That's good to know, actually. Yeah, you can do stuff like, you know, um, you can get, you can reshape the enamel and the root surfaces in such a way that they bring them back a little bit. So then you can put a big chunk of, kind of tissue graft there and it works really, really well, you know. Um, what I have had recently. Uh, from well, you touched on the classification. Just give us a guide about uh, these. Just tell us about the classification. Just educate us about the classification for those listening. We're talking about Millers here, right? Yeah, uh, I guess. Well, there's lots of classifications now. That's the, that's the, that's you know you know you know we as dentists love multiple classifications. You know you look at a vacation classification, and you know you and I will use you know the Hamp et al classification, which has been around for like so many years, and that's simple. You know you go in through you know less less than a third, or you know. Less than two, you know, all the way through and through is three, and then anything in between is two. But there's multiple versions of it with different people uh, with their classifications. So Miller is the first one, and I like using that, right? Um, there are newer versions, um, and um, I'm quite content with, with PD Miller's classification. And essentially, what he says is if you've got proximal bone in between the teeth, in between the roots. Um, and if that's higher than the recession, then you're going to get coverage to that point. Does that make sense? Because you're getting blood supply from the from the from the peaks of the bone. So if you've got um, if you've got a tooth and you've got mid recession, recession in the mid of the tooth, but the bone peaks are higher than that, you'll be able to achieve 100 percent root coverage. Does that make sense? Okay, and that's a Miller class one, a Miller class two. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I think I think that's uh, described quite well. Mm -hmm. And a Miller class two, essentially, is um, the uh, the recession defect that has gone beyond uh, has gone beyond the mucogingival junction, which is where the band, the crassinized tissue is, and then you've got the the loose mucosal tissue. And then, as long as you've got no bone loss, then you can get 100% recovery. Um, a Miller class three, where you've got some bone loss between wow, the two. Wow, 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you why, actually. Um, um, in a Miller class three, you've got bone loss. And essentially, you'll only be able to, if you've got two millimeters bone loss, you're only going to be able to achieve root coverage two millimeters below the cement enamel junction. So where the bone, the bone is. Does that make sense? So you're only going to, you'll still get exposed dentine, but you'll get yep, yep. attached tissue in that area. And a Miller class four is technically periodontal disease because you've got recession that is um the bone is below the level of the recession so they said you've got a pocket tell us about why we can get 100 percent, and then i'm going to tell you about a, a scenario with a patient i had actually okay so so let, so let me explain let me explain this to you actually because uh, going back to you know julia rasperini and and some of these italians their techniques have you know they've pushed the boundaries they understand the anatomy of of you know, the tissues and the, the tissue planes and they understand what they're trying to achieve, right? So, so I'm a, you know, technically I'm an, I'm a refer, you know, a reformed oral surgeon. That's what, that's what my friends call me. I'm a reformed oral surgeon. 
So when when we were uh, ever trying to close a flap and we couldn't get closure, we'd just make a cut in the periosteum, right? Okay? And then you just keep slashing the hell out of it until you get closure. Would you agree? That's what you're taught at university, right? Now, yep. the problem with that is you're making a cut that's into muscle. And when you're cutting muscle, you're cutting nerves, you're cutting blood vessels, and that's why patients get tons of bruising and swelling, right? So that's what I would do on a regular basis because that's what I was taught. And even when I was doing my peritrine, that's what I was taught, right? And so when I was doing, like, say if I had an 8-millimeter recession defect in a lower central and I'd try to chronically reposition that, I would never get 100% recoverage because 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 you've you've traumatized the muscle to the point where it's going to it's going to shrink back significantly. So in the last 10 years there's a guy called Massimo De Sanctis and he's uh, uh, another another chap called uh, Giovanni Zucchelli. The two of them sort of looked at crony reposition flaps and mucogenital surgery and they proposed the technique uh, of uh, split full and a split incision in the flap. Now, you know, it's easy to say, you know, you're splitting the tissue first and then you're doing a full fitness flap and then you're doing a split further on. Now, this may be a bit complicated, but essentially what you're doing is you're making an incision in the periosteum and you use a sharp blade, just making a small incision in the the periosteum. And when you do that, and let's, I mean, you know, you know, if you know people are listening, if you're doing any surgery on the next day or whatever it is, maybe try and just have a look. You make an incision in the in the periosteum, and you'll sort of see it gape. Okay, then you'll see the little fibers of the muscle there. So all you have to now do is you get a um, a periosteal elevator and use the back end of it, and you gently start stretching it. And as you stretch it, you'll see the fibers spread. So now you haven't cut the muscles. You haven't. You're not going to get the bruising and the swelling that you would have done if you cut the muscles. And by doing that, you're then going to get a significant movement in the muscles. Sorry, in in the in the in the mucosal in the mucosal flap. Then, what Giovanni Zucchelli does is then gets an ins- it then takes a scalpel, and he then makes an incision, a superficial incision, so that the muscle separates from the mucosal tissue. Right. So essentially what you then do is, you know, we know that the mucosal tissue is elastic. So that's going to advance all the way to the palate if you want halfway down the palate. So it's amazing when you use that technique. Um, so now utilizing these techniques, I'm now able to get 100 percent recovery before, um, especially in the low anterior because of the mentalis muscle. My predictability wasn't wasn't that high and now i can guarantee my patients i get they'll get 100 percent recovery what, so why t- are italians so so amazing i i think it's their food and their wine <laughs> <laughs> it, it must be because honestly in every field of dentistry at the moment where it comes from when you're talking about verti preps to 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 perio to to, to any field like nowadays there's always some italian uh, you know a thought leader or someone really uh, progressing the you know you got your uh, mario semenzes and um, maseronis of the world and whatnot and, in prosthodontics as well so it's just yeah. crazy i i i i've got to be honest um and I'm going to be very critical of, you know, the training we have here in the UK. You know, as a dental student or as a specialist trainee, you're still being trained within the National Health Service, right? It doesn't mean you're going to be good, right? Um, and I think when you look at, uh, you know, so for example, um, you know, I talk, I, I do accelerated orthodontics and you can make piezo incisions into the bone. You know, we have patients whose teeth will move. If you have an, you know, orthodontics, uh, which could take two years, it can do it in six months, you know. So we, you and I know, you know, majority of people around the world have this done, right? But here in the UK, you know, your people will turn around and say, well, the evidence is very weak. But, but you know, you're choosing to find evidence to say that. And, and it's like, but you, you know, but the truth is, if you look at the evidence as well for it, it's very, very good, you know? Um, and I'm, I'm definitely mm-hmm. not in the camp where I want to limit myself to not give my patients all the best options. So I think when you look at the Italians, I think their litigation rate is significantly low. 
you know the patients trust their dentists massively and they just so they just push the boundaries and you know and if it wasn't for people like you know the Italians or some of the uh, there's another guy called uh, Isfan Urban he's a Hungarian you know all these people pushing the boundaries you know we wouldn't be using these new techniques but yet you know people are bringing them here going oh look what I can do and actually it was done about 10-15 years ago you know um so it's 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 for me very frustrating. Raises, uh, two uh, great points there, Amit. Uh, one one being the the training, and I think that'll be a, a bitter pill to swallow for many people. But I think you're being very real, and I respect that. And I and I can I can see where you're coming from with the with the training that that, that is present uh, undermined within this um, national health system, and I completely respect that. Uh, yeah. But but the other thing is that dentists in other countries where they're less regulated. They do, they, they can be, and I don't want to use this term, but I will, a bit more gung-ho, but I, yeah, I, yeah. I mean that in the, in the sincerest way, right? Yeah. They can do something wanting to do the best for their patient, but not worrying about, oh, but if it goes wrong, then this is the end of my career. They, they can do something to advance science, advance dentistry, uh, yeah. and to, for the benefit of that patient uh, without worrying about the potential repercussions. So, for example, when I moved to Singapore, uh, I actually, I did feel as though this massive weight had been lifted over my shoulders and I can just push my own boundaries a little bit. So... Wisdom teeth for me, surgicals, I gained so much more confidence because I wasn't, uh, it's like I broke away from the shackles of the yeah. GDC for that time, which is, I think is, wow, I, I didn't, you know, you really uh, raised a, a great point there. Yeah, well, so that, see, that's it. See, this is the problem, you know. Um, you know, so um, there's a, is it Frank Herbert? Um, he wrote the book Dune. I've read that. And, and the most important thing that, I, that was good in that book was, you know, fear is the mind killer right and and it is this is the problem you know you meet all these young qualified young dentists are just qualified and they're all you know you speak to these vts and or they call vts or foundation dentists or whatever it is but i i lecture them on a regular basis but um and then you, you sort of ask maybe 15 of them and seven of them say they want to get out of the profession and it's because they're worried about being sued and they're worried about being struck off by the gdc and it's like you know when did that happen and you know, it's um, it's 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 really bad. You know, and and and, and you're right about gung ho. You know, we know there are some rubbish clinicians out there who will, you know, try to find a technique and sell it to you. But you know, fortunately, you know, people like yourself and myself, we we know who are the right ones we want to affiliate ourselves with, and you can see they're showing consistent results. You know, so, but I think here in the UK, are we pushing the boundaries here? The answer is no. Right. And you're right about the bitter pill to swallow. You know, if I was a trainee and, 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 you know, people will say, oh, I'm it, you know, he's talking shit again. And, but you know what? I don't care because I, I was, I did the same thing and I saw the limitations. <laughs> now, the problem is they need to justify their, their, you know, what they're doing. I don't have, never had to do it. You know, I've just been plodding along. I mean, if I had a real plan, I would have taken over the whole world. You know what I mean? But I'm just like, yeah, I'll just give this a go. I'll do this, whatever, you know? Um, but, um, but I think the sooner, <laughs> sooner people sort of realize well, that. Well, one thing that leads to, yeah. The, the better, really. Then you can, you know, like you said, get away from the shackles. And just become, you know, better than you want, you know, better than you are now. Do you know what I mean? That that's fantastic. And uh, what I want to know now is, um, it, it leads very nicely to GDPs now uh, doing soft tissue surgery, perhaps to do some recession coverage. So I know that in uh, other countries, um, GDPs uh, have been up upskilled to do uh, soft tissue surgery. Uh, whereas in the UK, because of all the things that we said about litigation and stuff, in fact, I'm not, I'm not going to name him, but this fantastic, truly brilliant dentist in Yorkshire, um, I, I believe he unfortunately had a, a GDC hearing about a, a perio surgical case that he was doing actually uh and, and it, was, it was so sad to see that he was going through it uh because he was truly a remarkable gdp but then uh you may know who i'm thinking of we'll, we'll again we'll chat at the end about uh, who yeah, this person is really great dentist and and then unfortunately he fell short because uh, because he wasn't a specialist he, you know it was almost felt as though he overstepped the line so where do you see the role of gdps and doing uh perio surgery what do you where do you is that uh, do we have a place in that jesus see i see the thing is i don't ever read 
any of the GDC news 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 uh, letters they send me. So I'm not in, no, so I don't know what goes on. Only because you know, you know, but you know, it's it's just not you know. But so when I'm teaching, so I teach you know GDPs on how to do root coverage, um, and does do many of them go and do it? No, right. But I do tell them, you know, you should try to do this. You know, and the way I look at it, and I have, and I'm going to be honest, right? So, so again, when I came out of guys, I did um, twelve root coverage procedures after four years. That's not good enough, right? <laughs> okay, so, so, and and there were others in my year that had done Fair less. less <laughs> okay, um, and. Um, so, so going back to that, so what I, the way I worked my way around that was to say to a patient, listen, we're going to do this procedure and we're going to try to improve the quality of the tissue here. Okay. And so that, you know, it'll be easier to brush. And that's what, that's essentially what we're trying to do. Right. Now, I'm not going to say to my patient, I'm going to get hundred percent recovery because, you know, especially when I haven't done that many. Does that make sense? And, you know, even 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 now when I'm talking to my own patients, I say, you know, I say the same thing. I say, we're going to try to improve the quality of tissue and we're going to try to cover as much as we can and see what happens, you know? And it just, I want to play down my patient's expectations. But if I can then do better, then it's, it's sorted. But that that's a real shame about this individual because um, I do think dentists should do it, right? Because if you think about this, Dentists are replacing implants, right? They're doing a surgical procedure and they're doing something that's even more complicated. Well, not really, but it's still complicated. Um, and, um, <laughs> you know, so, so why not try to use these techniques as well? Do you know what I mean? But don't over, you know, and, and the way I also, when I'm explaining to my the delegates who are on the courses, I say to them, you know, do on a case where it's not an aesthetic issue, so it's only going to get better. So when you're doing these sort of root coverage procedures, one of the most important thing is you can't technically mess it up, okay? Because you're putting soft tissue on the gum next next to the tooth, and if you cover it up nicely, it should work. And if it if it if it doesn't, if if you get some shrinkage of the flap, you're still going to get more root coverage than you had before. Does that make sense? So that sort of gave me confidence to think, okay, I can I can do more of this. Yep. And when I was doing these at the beginning. You know, you know, you know, even up to even five years ago, I'd be charging a couple hundred pounds to do a two-hour two hour procedure to, or three-hour procedure, you know. Um, and even now, you know, uh, when I see patients that I want to do it on, I'm going to charge them like the same price because I really want to do it, you know. Um, it's not a massive issue. I just like keeping my skill set up, really. Yeah, so going back to the, the case, sorry, I do think dentists should be... Um, doing these sort of procedures really i mean you know within their remit you know they sh if they don't you know if they're doing recession from six to six then maybe maybe you should get a little bit more experience in it but you know if you're doing the odd one you know it's not an issue especially if it's part of a cosmetic case you know if you've got you know i mean how many dentists are doing crown lengthening right so if you're doing crown lengthening you know mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. you could do some root coverage procedures and actually the way i look at it is you know when i when i went to university in 1992 you know dentists came out when they qualified back then um before i did they were doing periosurgery they were doing free gender grafts they were doing um you know really difficult wisdom tooth they're doing such complex restorative work and now it's sort of almost limiting what a dentist can do and that's a, that's a real shame really i think you know, why spend five years at university when you you could just do M massive shame? Yeah, it is a real shame. Yeah, yeah, and I think and I think you know, young dentists. And, and I think uh, the the fact that you're encouraging GDPs to to do soft tissue uh, is is like it adds a, a, a you know variety is the spice of life. It's yeah, the same yeah. in our careers as GDPs. If you can do if you can dabble in a few other things safely, and and I like what you said there. You know, choose the the easier cases and 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 build up. So I think that's definitely food for thought for any dentist out there who thinks that is beyond their scope. I think uh, you know a bit of root coverage uh, once you have the training should be within anyone's scope. And certainly, I've seen loads of GDPs 
you know, University of Facebook nowadays uh, sharing their cases, which is the beauty of social media. We get to yeah. see humble GDPs and, and specialists and whatnot share their cases and you, we get inspired from what other GDPs are doing, especially in other countries. So I think we can yeah. definitely take a, a leaf from from their book. But uh, I mean, I want because in, in, in the interest of time, two ma main questions left now, two main questions. One is when you have that patient who's been referred to you and yeah. you've had that sort of uh, conversation and the patient really doesn't want to have anything done because quite often they don't want to have anything done, right? Like you said, uh, and, and you're happy to monitor it. What advice are you giving them to prevent their recession getting worse? What's the blanket advice that you would give? It would be really nice to know. Yeah, so that's just the same as everything in perio for me. So, you know, I'll be getting the patient to... So in my practice, I get my patient only to use an Oral-B electric toothbrush, okay, the circular-headed one. And, um, and you know, if and I show them how to use it in a particular way so that they can't cause any more recession, okay? And and I think the problem is with, dent uh, with, with patients is they usually try to hold a toothbrush in their fist, right? So they scrub away. And we know that, you know you know there's multiple risk fa you know multiple causes of recession and one of them is overzealous brushing and 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 I do think um I mean it, it, let me ask you uh, it, it, how do you hold a toothbrush I I do hold it with with with, with a fist grip but I you I, I I you know I've got the sensor I use Oral-B I've got the sensor so I I'm not it I'm means, not you know going beyond the red sensor right it means nothing you see the problem is you're still holding in your fist now can you write with your fist you can't, can you? No. So would you drill a tooth with your fist? You drill a tooth Definitely like this. You drill a tooth like this, don't you? And this is why I tell my patients when they brush their teeth that you do each tooth individually, painting each tooth where the gum line meets and thinking about exactly where each tooth meets. Does that make sense? And it's always a vertical action. And then you can use your left hand to get in the lingual aspects, whatever you need to, because then there's more dexterity. Does that make sense? And that's 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 the most important thing. If you mentioned mm -hmm. use the oral be like toothbrush correctly, like a pencil, and paint each tooth individually, and uh, that'll that'll maintain everything. The, all my patients will use incidental brushes because when we look at all the evidence, um, which is now about six years, and I looked at all the systematic reviews, and they showed that essentially we should be using incidental brushes because we're not very good at flossing. Um, and that's it, really. So if they do that, I can monitor it, take a nice photograph, see the patient six months a year. And if nothing has changed, then, you know, then we're good. But if they're complaining of sensitivity or whatever, then we can, you know, get them to use uh, desensitizing toothpaste on it. Or you might then perform uh, mucogenital surgery to, to achieve root coverage. Brilliant. The next one is, is, is a patient-specific one. I want you to th throw this scenario at you and for the listeners. Uh, there's a patient I had who had periodontal disease, and this would be something like a 3C, right, With the, in the, under the new classification. For those listening, uh, there, were there were pockets of around about let's say five, six millimeters uh, anteriorly, there was inflammation. Uh, and, and I consented the patient. I said, look, if we start improving your oral hygiene, obviously first, and then we will start doing some non-surgical uh, periodontal treatment, you will get recession because all this gum, and I show in the photo, is is almost like a diseased fake gum. This, is, this has got to go. You, you know, you, you've lost it. This is, this is bad. This is, this is going to go. You're going to get recession. And then for that reason, the patient... Funnily enough, denied tr treatment. She was no longer wanting to have non-surgical periodontal treatment. And yeah. I said to her, well, this is, this is you know, in the, old, uh, the old saying, right? It's better to be uh, long in a tooth than have a tooth no longer. But, yeah. but how can you, the question I'm trying to get to is, how can you set realistic expectations to patients about what kind of aesthetic complications um, they will or compromises they will get after periodontal therapy. Okay, so that's it's a really good question, and I also like the way you just said that. You know, you know better to be long in the tooth than tooth no more. So that's good. But um, so so one of the things. Um, so if you, if you think about this, right? So when I when I become a periodontist, you know, all I was teaching people was how to brush your teeth, right? And that's not easy, is it? Because you know, the patient, when I used to try to do that, the patient says, you know, would, would make a complaint that I wanted the filling and I've not had a filling. Well, they didn't need a filling. They've got periodontal problems. All right. So, so, so I've sort of learned to word things differently 
without being offensive. Do you know what I mean? Because the guy would, you know, the patient would say, well, this young upstart's trying to teach me how to brush my teeth, you know? Um, so, and one thing that I, <laughs> so, so for example, um, I ended up having to do the Ashi latter course. Okay. Not because I wanted to do it. Right. I had really good friends, implant dentists that do it on a regular basis, you know, friends like uh, Bill Schaefer and Stephen Jacobs and Bill uh, Paul Stone, they did it on a regular basis. And they said, Amit, you need to do this. And my girlfriend was saying, you need to do this course because you don't, you haven't got a clue how to make any money. Right. So, so I did the course and I learned from that <laughs> in, the way, in the way you need to communicate with a patient, but someone like you just, right. You know how to communicate with the patient and get the best best out of their patient. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I don't think many dentists understand that. So, so I obviously struggle. Debatable. I mean, it's very kind of you to say. I, I'm still always well, improving. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you do. I mean, when I talk to you on the phone and just sensed, and you know, I, I can sense the way you are. But um, so, so for example, when I have a patient, they've been referred to me, and they have the same sort of problems as your patients have. And I've had patients like your patients who never come back and see me, all right? The most important thing here is that you've written your notes down and you've told them they've got a problem. That's it, you've done your job, right? So that's the most important thing, the, the take-home message for all, anybody listen to this. You've written your notes down, you've told them the score, and that's the end of it. You've told them, there's in, you know, if you're gonna have periodontal treatment, you're gonna have increased recession, increased sensitivity to your teeth, and that's it. Now. Going back to after Ashley's course, what I learned was I had to find something positive to say about a patient. You see, the problem is as dentists, when a patient comes and sees you, the first thing they'll say, oh, you're going to tell me I've got bad teeth. You'll tell me I eat too much chocolate. And then all the, you know, all the same old rubbish that we're supposed to talk about, right? And so, so when a patient comes and says to me, oh, you'll say that I drink too much. I say, listen, it doesn't have an impact on your periodontal problems. I'm not fussed, right? It's your, it's your decision, right? So that's fine, right? The patient says to me, they smoke 20 a day. I say, well, let me, let me just tell you once. I'm going to say once only. Smoking increases your risk of periodontal problems. And if you, even there's evidence shown that if you cut down, that improves things. And even if you decided to vape, you'd be able to give up. And I, I give them the spiel and I say, but it is your choice. I will still help you. Do you know what I mean? I think the more you inform the patient and treat them like a human being, then you'll have mm -hmm. them on, on side. So when it comes to these cases where they've got huge amount of periodontal problems and you're going to cause massive aesthetic issues, and I do that to all my patients, right? So what I'll be saying to them is, listen, all right, I'm not, I, let me apologize first. I'm not here to patronize you. So I do apologize. So what's the first thing that patient says to me? I don't know. I mean, I, I like where this is going because because you're starting off with the setting. You're setting a really nice, um, comfortable environment, right? You know, you 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 you're setting a comfortable environment here for the patient. Yeah, but Jazz, if I turn around and said to you, so listen, you know, um, you know, let me apologise to you. You know, everything I'm going to say to you is going to come across patronising. So I must, you know, so please forgive me. I apologise. What are you going to say to me? I'm um, saying, so, oh no, that's fine. Carry on. There you go. You've given me permission. I understand. You've given me permission, haven't you? Now to almost go for the kill, right? And then I will say to my patients, you know, we have- Oh, you know, this is brilliant. I'm so glad you mentioned this because here's something that I do, Amit, and, and I, I, I think you'll like this a lot, actually, is um, when I see patients with, with suboptimal oral hygiene, right? And, and this, this is definitely something that we're both uh, doing now, I, I realize, is you have to, you know, if you keep banging on like a broken record, like, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that, it's too negative. So just like w what you do, uh, I, I, you know, you say that's your way of getting permission. I'm very direct. I actually say, hey, can I have your permission to just show you a couple of areas where if we can improve, then I'll be so much happier and your gums will look amazing. That's why yeah. I say, I said, can I get your, I literally say, can I get with your, with your permission, with your kind permission, whatever. And I show the mirror yeah. and I find I get such better results when I, instead of saying, look, you need to brush back here. It's like, hey, can I get, can I, would you like to, for me to show you? Can I get your permission? And, and just like what you said, it, it's so much more powerful. It is. And this is, and this is one thing that works really well, you know? So, I mean, um, I'm not here to blow my own horn or trumpet or whatever, but essentially, um, you know, so I mean, I have a referral practice and my perio uptake is like 98%. Okay. Now, obviously the dentist, the dentist has done the hard job saying, listen, you need to see Amit, he's going to help you. And then I've had to, you know, convert that. So it's obviously easier. Right. So, 
so going back to this 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 the, the way i speak to my patients i'll say you know but you know we have many patients like you right that have the same problem and i've been able to help them so you've been positive about it right then i'll be saying well the only negative is you know we have um you know because we have we essentially we have this much pocket right and the gum is going to shrink back so i'll say you know you have a tent if you have a tent standing on the on on a on the on on grass the tent poles are much further down we need to push the tent down and they're like they understand the concept of the disease that way and then i'll say to them um you know th so the negatives are that you'll get recession and you'll also have uh, sensitive teeth but the most important thing is you'll be able to keep your teeth for many years to come so then you've been positive at it you're ending it with a positive right and uh, majority of my patients are mm -hmm. really happy to have that done. And then if, I, I, and I think one thing that really works for me is to give them a story, you know, just like you would, you know, you'll, I'll say, well, listen, look, my mum, my mum has really long looking teeth. She's a smoker, smoking from the age of 14, you know, and, you know, even she's got a uh, recession of her teeth uh, uh, around, you know, the gums and she's got sensitivity of her teeth. And I say, well, you know, it took her six to nine months before she could eat, you know, an ice cream, but she, she did all these things. So she's sort of sort of saying, well, I did that same thing to my mum. So they understand that, you know, this is part of the, the process. Um, so I think that's the way I, that's the way I, I give I, with the aesthetic concerns, um, explain it to them. And I always explain, look, the, our, our aim is to keep your teeth for many years to come. That's the main aim, you know, and that's what they want to hear. And yeah, I think that works quite well. I mean, so if, for example, if aesthetics is a massive issue, I, I they'll, love find that. Out, uh, they'll find out at a later date, you know, because, you know, I can show them photos of what it can look like. But I don't do that anymore at all. I just say, look, we can do this for you and, and, and they'll go for it. But if aesthetics is an issue, you know, you can make ginger with veneers, you know, to close up some of the gaps and they work really well. Um, the good ones are ones that are made by, a, um, it's a German material called Molplast. Um, but uh, Valplast is not a good material or acrylic is not good. But um, here in the UK, then I don't think there are anybody making them at this point in time anymore. Um, but going back to recession, what we can That's do a now. Real shame. Yeah, it is a real shame. Exactly. Yes, it's, it's so difficult to make, um, uh, and quite costly for the labs to make, and it wasn't um, profitable. So, but going back to recession, you know, so these kind of cases, you know, they'll have loads of recession around all the teeth. What we now can do, because uh, there's a lot of clinicians out there, so there's individuals like Pat Allen. Um, and who else? Sophia Rocca, um, as well as uh, Tony Schoolian. These are all periodontists. So Sophia's from Paris, Tony's from Bern University, and uh, Pat Allen's from Dallas, Texas. And essentially what you can do is you can utilize this thing called a telm technique, all right? So where we are making an incision just in the gingival crevice around each of these teeth, and then you're sliding a connective tissue graft through all of them. Or maybe a... Uh, um, you know, another kind of material that you can you can buy off the shelf. And essentially what you're doing is you're bulking the whole area up and you, you suture it back up. And in time, you get some creep back, right? Yes, you don't, you don't get, you don't get pocket formation, but you get some creep back and then the aesthetics improve a little bit, you know? So we've, uh, I've done quite a few of those kind of cases and the patients are really happy with those results. Um, they still look like they've got periodontal problems, but they've got a lot more bulk of tissue so there's there's less black triangles so perio has changed quite significantly um, amazing and, and it's going to change you know when because what's interesting is you know again talking about the italians they're utilizing these enamel matrix proteins it's called emdegain and they're regenerating bone in areas where you think you could never do it. you'd be taking a tooth out put an implant in but the techniques so there's a guy called uh, sandro cortellini he's exceptional you know uh, and again, he's going to be lecturing at the Congress, showing some cases where the teeth are like, there's nothing holding them in the mouth, but he's just splintered them, whacked in some materials, and it's it's just amazing. I'll send you the I'll send you that video. So I'll, I'll try I'll send it to you via we transfer. So you can watch it. It's amazing. 
uh, clinician. He's a good man as well. Again, through Ian. Well, if there's any resources you have to to, to share, but you know, for for the ADI or these future congresses and whatnot, um, stick them okay. on. I'll put them on the protrusive dental community uh, and on the website. Uh, but but Amit, thanks so much for for sharing the in the first half your journey because I think that's going to inspire a lot of uh, young dentists who are thinking: should I specialize? Should I not? And I think they'll take a lot of encouragement to know that hey, if they didn't finish at the top of their uh, class at dental school or um, they just not sure. Or, uh, or they're not enjoying a certain part of that course, but to, to, the, the value of finding someone who can inspire you. And then, of course, we talked to, uh, about the, the recession and the clinical bits. But then I think particularly what I think the listeners find valuable a lot of time is the communication gems. And I think the whole thing about asking for permission and, and remaining positive, especially in perio, when it comes to perio, where you're always, you know, almost just blaming the patient, mm. uh, trying try to be non-judgmental is going to be, be massive. So I think we've gained a, a lot from our chat today, Amit. So it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Any I any mean, last words, my friend? The yeah, microphone is yours. One, one thing you just brought up um, is, you know, should you become a specialist? And I've, I've thought about this. So when I... So when I qualified in 2005 and I met all these implant dentists and uh, and what I realized is you don't need to be a specialist. Yeah. You need. So you look at you. Right. For example, you know, you're not you know, you I don't know if you're going to be a specialist or whatever. You know, it's fine. But, you know, you have such a, an interest within a certain aspect of dentistry. So people around you will refer you cases because they'll think, hang on, Jas can fix this. Right. And I think. That's what I learned when I qualified, um, is that if you are good at one aspect and if you're in a nice area, you know, dentists in the locality will think, hang on, this is the individual who know who can do it. You, don't have, you can have a special interest. So being a specialist, I don't think is the be all and end all, right? I think if you had a special interest in endo, perio or restorative, you build up a portfolio of cases, you can send newsletters out to local dentists give them lectures or whatever it is, and then slowly you'll get a referral base. And I think that, that is, I think, is the future, really. I mean, I'm talking myself out of business, right? But end of the day, I think general dentists with an interest <laughs> or something is a good thing. I think that's really inspirational what you said there. I, I, I expected no less. Uh, I expected a real talk from you, and I think that's definitely what we got today, Amit. So thank you so much for being so real, for being so giving, and being so blunt. Uh, that, that's the best way to be. And, and, and honestly, we really appreciate that. All the best for 2021, and uh, we'll, you know, we'll obviously stay in touch, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thank you, Jess. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, and it's been fun. So there we have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. And now you can approach recession with a little bit more confidence and assurance that you're doing the right thing. Uh, next month, August, is all about back to basics. I'm not going to spoil exactly what we're doing and all the guests we're having on, but essentially, a lot of you requested this. You wanted something just, you know, you wanted something just foundational. You wanted something really, really basic. Uh, so I've covered a lot of basic themes, like for example, when is an amalgam truly failed? Like see, it's like long-standing amalgams. When should you actually cut into them? Or what is involved in a comprehensive examination? And how do you do one? So all these themes we're gonna cover in August, which is back to basics month. Catch me then guys, and I'll see you soon.